Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with our newly minted relationship with Sate Corporate Training. After 18 months and hundreds of conversations with the leaders, innovators, and the movers and shakers in our city, two things have become abundantly clear. The future of work has arrived, and it always has been all about the people. So whether you're an individual looking to upskill or an organization looking to reskill an entire division, SAIT has the team, the curriculum, and more importantly, the advisors to partner with you to build what you need to adapt for the road ahead. Do yourself a favor and take the time to learn a little bit more. Check them out at www.sate.ca slash corporate training. And more importantly, give them a call, have a consultation, and find out what SAIT can do for you. Hello and a warm collisions YYC welcome to Miss Jenny Gilbert. How are you, Jenny? I'm very good. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I, again, as, as it is with most of my guests on the show, I was introduced to Calgary, the big small town. We get, we get introduced, but you're, uh, this is part of our collaboration with Sate and uh, Craig Hess over there has become a friend of mine. said, you know who you need to talk to? You need to talk to Jenny. She's been a facilitator, corporate training in the School of Business for us for almost, almost 11 years, 10 and a half years. I'm professionally creeping on your LinkedIn profile right now. So <laughs> it's got 10, point, 10 years and five months. But uh, uh, tell me a little bit about um, kind of what you do kind of courses you teach, a little bit of what's your world like these days. Okay. Thanks, Tyler. Uh, the LinkedIn profile never lies, does it? Unless well, I make it lie. I'm going to take it as lie. truth until, unless you tell me otherwise. <laughs> it is absolute truth. So yes, one way or another, I've been connected with SAIT for just over a decade. I started very part-time and I would say facilitating SAIT's applied management courses. And just by nature of interest and background, built to about 10 to 12 of those courses. And my tagline, if you like, what do you teach? Nothing sensible and nothing with numbers. So anything in the human skills, some like to call them soft skills, some have an allergic reaction if you say soft skills. Yes. But communication, mental toughness, performance management, resilience, the list is fairly vast. And nowadays, I don't call it facilitating, I call it navigating. We navigate conversations with people. And perhaps lent more into the leadership realm, but also still working with individual contributors. So I really do get to see the people on the ground who are dealing with the everyday issues, excitements, apprehensions, and usually within the realm of an umbrella conversation. But it just depends on the course and the delivery. So it would be oversimplifying to say that it's leadership based. It's more like I like you said about navigation and communication and the ability for us to interact. And you did throw out that soft skills, which is which in a town full of engineers and accountants sometimes maybe isn't so warmly received. If I'm reading between the lines, <laughs> been my my experience as a marketer sometimes it also gets looked at as a soft discipline. And like what is this fluffy business you guys are talking about over here? But I'm curious over the over the last ten years, how has that evolved? Are are are, are we, are we, I want to use the proverb, are we as corporate leaders, as individuals, are we becoming, like, are those soft skills becoming, is it getting more popular? Are we starting to realize that that is what allows us to kind of get done what we need to get done? And how's that changed over the last 10 years? That's a, that's a huge perspective. And I think it's a great one. And the answer is yes. Okay. And we, to be fair, I love having accountants and engineers. In my that classes. wasn't a slag, so I just, I'm going to get some hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they lean right in too. Like it often answers a lot of questions. Oh, that's why this conversation doesn't work. Or that's why this isn't going as smoothly as we thought it would. 
in terms of changing over the past decade, it's changed vastly. Like 10 years ago, we didn't really know what psychological safety is. We didn't consider trust an important, it's not really a skill, an important habit, an important attribution to have. Um, resilience wasn't really on our conversation as much as it is now. Uh, mental toughness, collaborative intelligence, these are all new things that are sort of coming to the forefront that people are now actually realizing the power that they have and then starting to use them in the workplace and getting different results so it makes it better for them to come back again. And as a facilitator, educator, agent agent of navigation of change, what do you think has facilitated that? Is that there has there been the research? Has there been, or is it anecdotal where somebody you know learns to better, more effectively communicate, and all of a sudden goes, "Oh wow, I, I got a different outcome." I'm just curious how these things all of a sudden, because you're right, it feels like it's at a boiling point where now it's becoming it's less cool to not do it than it is before. But there's always a transition when all of a sudden things like that start to get traction and. As a school like State, you put a course together, and then but people still need to sign up for it. So I'm just curious, like what led that to all of a sudden become more accept, even I'll just say accepted, even or, or before and, and and searched out. It is probably probably a couple of things, Tyler, that that really have brought it to the forefront. I mean, I would love to say to you, our courses are just great, uh, but that's perhaps not not the way to go. They are, but what we're seeing in the workplace now is. People are changing in how they look at work. And so we're in the middle of probably a paradigm shift. And I think the pandemic probably pressed fast forward on that, but that's a slightly different conversation. And so pre-pandemic, we were beginning to see a shift in how people thought about their work. So, you know, as an adult that shows up for work, I don't show up to be told what to do. I want to turn up as an adult, be treated like an adult, get on with the job that I'm paid to do. And actually, most times I care to do the best I can. And so how do we deal with that? We've shifted from that control and command mindset. We've shifted from that. A lot of them are sort of legacy pieces that really we were hanging on to from the early 1900s. And there's a whole new wave, a new age of leaders that are saying, it doesn't feel right. There's got to be a different way to do it. And I think that's how the conversation started. Um, and, and is it, I guess, where, where does age, and maybe age is not the right question, maybe experience, is it because there's just younger leaders coming in, like like every generation, we're going to do things differently than the generation before us. We're going to disrupt and there's somebody's like, wow, this is the way we've always done it. Is it just because there's a shift in terms of who's in the workforce or is it more deeper than that and age really doesn't affect and it's just more of a cultural shift that's happening even on a, on a broader scale? Maybe both. Okay. I think culture is really okay. important. I think we're, work is changing, no doubt about it. Yeah. And, and you keep hearing the future of work. Are we ready <laughs> yes. for the future of work? And and the answer is, I think that we've known it's there and all of a sudden it's slapping us in the face <laughs> and saying, now what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And when you, when you talk about age, the age of our workforce is changing. I think we have four generations in the workplace at the moment. That requires a whole different skill set to manage that. But the age of our leaders is also changing. So it's really possible that I could have a leader 20 years younger than me who deserves to be there. That That's not the way it used to be. So how do we have the skill sets to manage that piece within there? I could also be the age I am and be a leader and have three different generations working for me. How do I manage that conversation? It's not, it's not a simple do this, you'll get this kind of relationship. 
I appreciate the world of hierarchy and the world of I'm older, so therefore I'm your superior versus you know, versus talent and the ability to contribute. And in Calgary, being that we are, I guess, I'm curious about who who do you find in your classroom? Is it all kinds of organizations, big, small? Uh, you know, thinking about large enterprise and the resource sector, and then you, we've got this huge disruptive movement in Calgary that's great. I love it. The technology industry that's burgeoning here and starting to really grow. Not that we haven't had technology here, but we have much more of a startup community than we've ever had. So you've got a lot of younger, innovative that maybe don't have a lot of leadership experience either because you can be really good at something and never had had any leadership training. I think that's the classic trip and fall that happens with a lot of people get move up the ladder without the right training, but they have great technical skills. So curious, like if you looked across your room, who's there? What's the, what's the makeup and where are they coming from? One of the reasons I can still smile when you say, oh, you've been at SAIT for 10 and a half years <laughs> is the people who come in our classroom. <laughs> it's that simple. Um, everything, everything and everyone. So we have every industry. And what I love about our open classrooms is I can have individual contributors and a VP and a CEO and an entrepreneur all in the same room, all sharing their experiences. And that's where the, the energy comes from in there. Interesting when you refer to leadership, though, because what we're still seeing very often is people being promoted because they're good at their job. And that's where we get to an interesting piece, because, yes, you're really good at your job, but how good at people are you? And leadership is shifting in that you've got to have the people skills. You've got to want to hang out with people. You've got to want to lean in and get a little bit gritty in that space to be able to have that performance to achieve the results. And when you're promoted just because you're good at your job, that can lead to a really huge disconnect for some leaders as well. I think many, many a book has been written around that theme that you just described right there. And how do you balance that out as an organization that has so much of what we do here in Western Canada is very technical in nature. And a lot of jobs are very technical, and 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 this, the emerging technologies we're not going away away from that. So you get this value being created by the technical output of the organization, whether it's how efficiently they are at extracting resources or developing a certain new software program. It's so interesting that it feels like this dichotomy of like, it feels like a lot of lift to balance both evenly to say, yeah, you still need to be really good at that. Oh, but by the way, here's all these other soft skills. You're like, I, n- I never signed up for that. I signed up for the facts and the numbers and I, what is this other fluffy business you're talking? <laughs> and I'm over, I'm over stereotyping for the sake of the conversation. But I guess... Uh, if it has to change, is it still a struggle? And like, I guess, what do you say to organizations that are maybe wrestling with that exact scenario? Like we've got leaders that are amazing, but oh my God, people are leaving. Or they, they, there's a terrible culture that's emerged because nobody's supporting each other. It's a big conversation. I'm asking you the big juicy question. You are. That's a, that's a huge conversation. We'd be here for hours. But I, I think the key piece... Some are, some are caught in their legacy. Some are still promoting because you're good at your job. You don't even ask if somebody wants to be a leader. <laughs> I think the first thing that organizations have to understand for them, and it's different. Every single company will answer this differently, just as every leader will answer this differently. What does leadership mean to you? Because unless you understand what it is that you want, need, have to have from your leaders, then you won't know if you're putting the right people in the right place. When we look at the much more progressive companies, what we see are two tracks of promotion. So you can be promoted technically, and so your responsibilities stay with that piece you're good at. You signed up for the numbers. You don't do people, for want of a better expression. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Stay there. We still need your expertise. We've still got a track for you to grow in. You're a phenomenal people person. You've got the social intelligence, the collaborative intelligence, all those pieces that we need. 
come this track, this is our leadership track. And so what we see there, and this is where people find it difficult, is we have leaders, brilliant leaders in place, who I think Adam Grant used the term just recently, competent humility. They don't know all the answers. Ooh, that's, that's, I have not heard that before. I like that one. That's a great Well, idea. I do too. Yes, I'm beginning that's to really, get connected That's powerful. To, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, but so we've got that leader in place that can manage the people, get the best from the people, help people transform whatever it is we need in that place. And then we've got the technical people that are in there and supporting. But in order to get that, we have to take the competition out between those two people. They've got to be on an even track so that they want to collaborate and work together in that space. And often I would say, and again, oversimplifying, that sometimes to get that promotion or to get the, the increase in salary or, or, or seniority, it immediately meant taking on people so that you're creating more leverage. And I find a lot of people have moved into those roles because that's the next step on the rung, to, but they ended up taking on parts of it they didn't want, but it was the only way to get you know a different comp or whatever that may be, and which leads to potentially an erosion in culture because you're obviously then not a right fit, but the, but the framework told you that that's the only way to get ahead. So therefore you do it maybe begrudgingly versus the two tracks and actually being able to really be kind of stay in your lane, which being clear what that is, but also not creating this dichotomy between the two. So easier said than done, I would imagine in a lot of organizations, because you've got to, you've got to build it that way from like almost from the, from the outset, right? Yeah. I, I think that's one of the biggest problems. I think that's why we still see it because we're so caught in, it's always been done this way. Yeah. As we need to carry on this way. And there's lots of examples where there's one company in England where you choose your manager, choose your leader. That's their tagline. And you (laughs) literally pick who you want to lead you based on whether you believe they'll get the best from you. And a a year later, you, if you're not happy, Tyler, I don't, I don't think you're getting the best from me anymore. I'm going to go with Joe over there as my leader. That's so interesting. Um, that must create yeah. such an interesting. And do you do you know enough about the organization? Like, is it does it work? Because again, I always appreciate what's a theory or something, and then what's the actual outcome of that? And does it does it have the output that they were hoping? Well, absolutely. They've been awarded top employer, I think, for the past goodness oh. knows how many years. It's a it's a phenomenal case study to follow. That's really that's I I really like that. It's well, you certainly find out. Yeah, like you, you you can often know if you're leading by by who's following you, and that's a really good example of taking that saying and like making it real. I appreciate that when they first would have rolled that out and be like, hey, here's what we're trying, and the the, the disbelief and just the change of people going, well, is yeah, I, I love I, yeah, I want something better, but we're still comfortable falling back into our old our old habits. Um, I really like what you said about what makes your classroom engaging is when you look around and go, wow, I've got startups, I've got I've got individual contributors, I've got CEOs. What are some of the themes you're seeing? Because we're still all humans, right? Kind of having a messy experience as you and I joked before we pushed record. What are some of the things that you're seeing kind of showing up from the human side in the room? If we've got leaders or aspiring readers or anybody listening, because ultimately we all have a chance to be a leader. What are some of the things that we're all struggling with, maybe universally, that you see? That's a good question too. Um, I think predominantly, well, the emotional intelligence is always a big Mm. piece in there. How do I handle emotional intensity in myself, in other people, it's always going to show up as as organizations, as a society, we want to slap an intellectual solution on top of things because it's easy. One size fits all, let's go, compliance, get on with it. Yeah. But when you put an intellectual solution down, what we forget is underneath is us. We're running around underneath and we're emotional little pieces. You can't put an intellectual blanket on top of emotional pieces. And so... That's a big common theme. It's actually not that new either. It's been it's been there for a while, but people are realizing the importance of it. The other big conversation is the difference between coercion and collaboration. How do I really get hold of 
collaboration and make it work, which ties into what I mentioned earlier, the psychological safety. You can't, you don't have collaboration if you don't have psychological safety in place. And I think the other big piece, the really topical one at the moment is how do we come back after this pandemic? We never left. We're still working, but we've been gone. It's like we went somewhere special. No, we didn't. It wasn't even, it wasn't even, we got to work from home and we had no choice. And oh, by the way, don't leave the house unless you have to. Yes. Yeah. And, and the curious piece for that is we come back as we return in whatever that looks like. And that's another piece that's popping up in conversation. What will that look like? But however we do return, you know, we, we sort of wander around on this blanket. Oh, we've all been in the pandemic, but our stories are so different. I'm not sure that we're all totally ready for what that looks like on the return to the office. I would, I would, I would boldly say that I don't think we are, <laughs> that no, we're not. And maybe I some, again, there's always outliers. <clears throat> but we're still, again, for every day in the news, we don't like when we think we're months away from it and then all of a sudden it feels like we're going the other direction. I think that that emotional side of it is really taking its toll. And then, oh, geez, what's going to happen? Am I going to be forced to go back to work? Is it going to disrupt this life? What about what about this new puppy I got? What am I going to do about that? Like, it's amazing the layers that kind of come in as we've created these other lives because this wasn't a couple months. This was, you know, we're pushing, a, we're going to push a couple of years. <laughs> That's a whole so. new set of everything <laughs> in terms of how I function. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and organizations are going to want us to hit the ground running. We've got time to make up here. We've got to achieve this. And yet as people, there's those emotional messy parts. Again, there's pieces that we don't want to let go of. There's pieces that are as brand new opportunity. There's uh, my story and your story. I think for our leaders, how do you bring that all back in? You'll be working with face-to-face teams, hybrid teams, tribrid teams. That was a new term to me the other day. Tribrid. I've not heard that either. Yeah. So we had, apparently now we have work working from home. Hybrid would be home and office based, and tribrid is home, office, and third space. So we all have this third space. So Versus I might want to the Starbucks concept, right? <laughs> a Sometimes bit. I that, think so. how they created yeah. that or how they stemmed out from that. Yeah. Yep, and those those work bars and that idea. And so as a leader, how do you meet that need for connection, that need for safety again, that dealing with, you know, for a lot of leaders, how do you deal with the parent who's given their child a hug every single morning for the past 12, 14, 16 months, and now you've got to tell them you've got to be back in work by 7, by 8? Like that's, that's a difficult transition that perhaps organisations aren't seeing as clearly because they need to catch up if they've had to fall behind because of COVID. When you get caught up in the intellectual side of your growth strategy and maybe not putting as much emphasis on your people strategy and what that looks like. Potentially. Yeah. Yeah, Again, just thinking about, you know, and as, and some of the predictions about when we come out of this and the pent up demand and a lot of companies are gearing up to really take advantage of some of the lost ground. But you're right. How do we kind of create that change and the impact? And some of the people that are coming into your class, are they doing it because they see that coming or just because there's this feeling of like, well, I, I just, I need to be better. And I know I'm sure there's a million versions of it, but I guess sometimes, sometimes we're not as good as looking down the road. Like we look just around the corner, maybe not around four or five corners. <laughs> and that's a, that's a big piece that we see is if you're so busy doing, then it's really hard to stop and look forwards. And we see that in across, I would hazard a guess across all of SAIT, like in our digital transformation classes Mm -hmm. and dealing with that innovation. If you're too busy doing, you can't look up and see 
the future, see what's ahead in leadership. If you're too busy doing, keeping the numbers there, you're not prepared for what's coming next. Like as a lead, if you're a leader and you're listening, have you actually spoken to your team about what return to the office might look like? What do we want to keep? What do we want to change? What's great? What's not there? At this point, fairly simple conversations. The closer we get, they might get a little bit more stressful and a bit more polarized. But at the moment, they're good culture conversations. And that's the other piece, too, that we're hearing a lot about is cultures will have changed because we've been gone for so long. Cultures will have We're not going back to the same culture for those who are returning to office. And so that's an opportunity in itself because you can reinvent if you choose to. There's no better time, you know, never, never, never waste a good crisis, whatever that means. And I don't say that to minimize it all. It's an easy thing to get through. Waste a good recession, don't waste. But you're right. I think there's an opportunity to kind of rewrite the rule book because, you know, you leave on the Friday and you come back in the Monday and you go, we get a brand new strategy. Everyone's like, well, it all looks the same as it kind of did before. But arguably you're right. You're going back to a different space. I love that opportunity because there's so much that's already been changed. Take advantage of it and kind of capitalize mm-hmm. on top of that. But, and, and so for you guys through the course of the pandemic, it's, it's hard not to talk about. Have you seen kind of, have people been taking more courses? Like, I'm just curious how you've seen organizations respond or even individuals over the last kind of, uh, back to that don't waste a crisis. I've heard a lot of people like, oh man, I'm going to come out of this and I'm going to have used my time. I'm going to have learned this or speak another language and there's all those. So I'm curious from uh, attendance or just people participating in the courses that you offer, what have you seen over the last kind of year and a bit? So we have to remember my perspective is very, very slim. I can't speak for a, a cross seat. Yep. In, in the courses that I'm attached to and the work that I do, it's really interesting. We've seen some organizations just embrace the virtual Zoom room. And okay. to the extent that I've heard a client say, we won't go back to face-to-face. And I know why, because in the Zoom rooms that I've worked in with them, we've had people from Saudi, Australia, Canada, and America yeah. in the same room. Well, that's phenomenal. I, they, you can't replace that piece. We've had others say, okay, we'll do what we need to do. And then we're going to return to face-to-face. We've had some who have just shied away. I know that a lot of our clients have tried to put all their learning online with very, very mixed results. That's a natural reaction. The response perhaps now is a little bit different. In our open classes, we at SATE, we stayed online for a little while. The numbers were really good on their online, which would suggest that people were learning in their own time. Mm-hmm. We're now just starting our virtual classes. Again, my perspective in man- applied management, certificate project management, those kind of pieces, and the numbers are picking up. And I think people are just getting happier and more confident with Zoom and how to learn in that space as well. So a real mixed bag, I would suggest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if every organization, like you said earlier, different cultures, different approaches, and individuals coming into in and out of different organizations or where they are with their change. Uh, crystal ball, what do you see in terms of trends coming down the road? Anything that's, you know, back to the, what, what do we not want to let go of coming out of COVID? What do we want to take away? Is there anything from a leadership perspective and in, in some of the courses, you know, in abroad that you see coming down the pipe in terms of, because I also imagine in your world, the ability to respond to that need is there at a level that it probably hasn't been before of spinning up courses in very short periods of time versus planning them out for years. Because the, the, the world would have changed by the time you got to market with it if you did it that way. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. So <laughs> in, in our world, we have the absolute... Um, and I call it an excitement, actually, that we can spin something up really quickly. And so when we, especially when we work with client organizations, 
somebody said, okay, we've got to go back. How do we handle that return to office? Then it's a conversation and we can create the help and the, the change, the adaptability, the learning that's needed. In terms of looking down the pathway, we've had some some really good conversations at SAID about how we pr- approach what we're offering. Okay. And so, for example, in leadership, we're looking at a completely different leadership model. And so what we're mm-hmm. shifting from in the way that we work is it's really not good enough now for me to say, here's what you need to know. Because if 2020 taught us anything, okay, that's good for a week, good for a month, maybe a bit longer. <laughs> so now it's much more how, not what, but how. So it's a mindset shift across that piece. And so in our leadership um, approach, we could, let's call it a journey because I don't think that a program is the real answer. We're not looking at event-based learning. We're looking at that journey. This is a this is a piece that we're going to navigate to use our own earlier conversation with you and across we're looking at six different intelligences that are kind of there for leaders to embrace that will help them move forwards it's kind of that i've talked to a few people in the post-secondary world that 60 degree that 60 year degree concept of like this is an ongoing ever learning ever evolving but what i'm hearing you talk about like where a set of tactics or a specific strategy around leadership could follow to fashion, but when you talk about things like emotional intelligence, social intelligence, collaborative intelligence, these are fundamental skills that allow you to kind of adapt to the varying situations, but they're at the function of how you actually, how well or effectively you can interact with other humans, which that's never going to, that's only coming more into style, I would say. Yes. And, and the other piece too that we're looking at is, you know, it's, no, it's an iterative curriculum. So when we work with people, the organization has a need, they have results, the leader has a need, they've got to build the performance that gets to those results, and the team has a need. And in the middle of there is a sweet spot, and that sweet spot's not the same for every single organization or every single leader. So how do we make that experiential and relevant piece for the people who are in the room? And so just to kind of unpack that a little bit, because that sounds like a be blunt, that's a great statement, but that's a lot, it feels like a lot of work to pull that off. So, you know, to be able to be adaptable enough that you're going to say, yeah, this is what we're focusing on, but I'm going to read the need and we're going to lean in a little bit more on this. And is that based on a one-on-one or is that based on certain organizations going like, this is more important to us? Like, just how do you do that in real time? Because it sounds amazing, but it sounds like a a trick to make it work. So I'm putting you on the spot here, Jenny. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. So, um, Yes, it's a lot of hard work, but that's that's the key piece. It's easy for me to pull a course off the shelf and give you the curriculum. But it's not always relevant and it's not always useful. So it's a lot of conversation. It's a lot of leaning in. And some of it comes from an organization. If we have a room of mixed organizations, then it's going to come from the leaders. What is it that you need? If I look across the six intelligences that we talk about, there's there's specific conversations or skill sets that would be useful for anyone. Like to know resilience, you need to know that individual resilience is different than team resilience, and this is what they're made up of. But what you're being resilient for, against, with, is going to change depending on who you are. So there is there are still core conversations, but there's also a space to allow for that, what we need, where do we need to go to, what behaviours are we trying to change? At the end of the day, you've got to be really clear on what it, where it is that you want to get to with learning so that we can actually set that up to achieve that goal at the end. It's, I had a conversation with, uh, do you know John Hetherington? It's a, it's a, yeah. A, yeah, so I had a conversation yeah. with John last week and I, I loved it. He talks in like 
these are the three things. These are the four things. It's a great from a content perspective because like, oh, I can retain. And he talked about like really understand the problem, which I get, but he's like solve the problem completely. And I want to ask him, what, what do you mean by solve the problem completely? And this was in reference to technology implementation, which sounds very similar. We're implementing a new technology or we're evolving our people to ultimately, he said, well, you have to understand what problem you're solving, but for each individual group of stakeholders. And I really like that concept of solving completely because different people in the organization are going to look at that problem from just, just again, shifting perspectives. And then ultimately then, he said, then the technology, where in your case, what I'm hearing is like, what are we really trying to solve? How does it impact each group? And then ultimately, which of these do we need to pull down off the shelf in what order to get there in no different than how we would implement a technology? Not to compare, but it just, it sounded very familiar to me in terms of that consistency, which I, I really like that theme. To solve completely is an easy thing to miss, I would say, in an organization. I, I've certainly missed it before. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, sometimes the hardest piece is to have the conversation what is the problem that we're trying to solve and that in itself oh that could be very uncomfortable be it's kind of scary yeah <laughs> yeah it is what are the what are the six areas of intelligence you've kind of referenced some of them but i would like to pull them apart so uh emotional intelligence okay psychological safety social intelligence collaborative intelligence adaptability intelligence and then innovation that sort of digital frame. I could call it innovative intelligence. That sounds quite nice. I do. I, um, that, yes, as a marketer, I love I love making up names. So innovative intelligence sounds wonderful. Yeah, yeah. That could be the, the well, it is the sixth one. Innovation is the sixth one. We're okay. still innovative sort of playing with the approach. Oh, very interesting. And is this something, obviously there's bodies of work. How much are you guys taking a body of work and then adapting it for what you're doing or how much of, you know, I've heard of some of these, but never kind of said in the way and in the framework that you just laid them out, EQ being the one that's probably the most on my mind over the last bunch of years. Again, where is SATA's terms of, are you guys pulling this from a body of research and then adapting it? Or are you doing some of the work on these yourself to really evolve them to create the curriculum? Both. Absolutely both. So, Very cool. you know, we're, we're constantly paying attention to what research tells us, you know, sort of beyond, especially, you know, my world, we don't have a ton of researchers behind us. Our research is our research. So we're paying attention to what's current, what's the, the sort of top areas of conversation outside of there. But we're also paying really close attention to the people that we're working with and what do you need. And so when we, you know, when you refer to building that body of work what we're building is a really robust framework so that we can help leaders in whatever vein they come to us within that space and some of them you know as we've mentioned will be this is a common conversation psychological safety is so much more than yep my door's open come and have a chat with me we've got those fundamentals is that my work no I'm going to pull off the experts and and the joy of you know, people coming to visit us is rather than go here, read these, you can see the bookshelf behind me, read these 10 books, you'll be totally up to date. We're going to give you the best of what that has to offer. But the more important piece, and I think this is why I like working for state, how do you make that happen? So I can give you content, but how do you make that happen when you leave the Zoom room, Zoom room when you leave the physical room, when you leave the conversation? If you can't do something straight away, then we're not meeting that need for our leaders in that space. I appreciate that. We can all read a book, but what did you do with the book afterwards? <laughs> After you read that yeah. emotional intelligence book I read years ago, and then like, how do you do it? And what does that mean? And how does it, you know, how do you apply those things when you're under stress or you're under load or you're in the situation yourself? Because our, our armchair armchair versions of any of these are easy, but when you're working with real people, there's often stress. And like I said, like we've joked before, we're humans and we're a little bit messy. And I say that in a very kind, in a kind way when all these things, these things show up. 
curious in terms of, you know, uh, I like what you, I like how you really brought it back to practicality. Because, you know, when I first got introduced to say it, I thought of it more as a bit of like a trade school and not in a bad way, but trades do things in the real world, like the rubber meets the road. So to hear you talk about these things, which could be very easily academic concepts, but really think about how does it work when you go back to your team? How does it work when you're dealing with real people that are having challenges around these, around these individual items? Where do you, where do you look for inspiration on this? Is there parts of the world where, you know, I'm always curious where Calgary sits against, you know, and, and it's maybe hard to know, but is there areas of the world anywhere that you know of that they're really better at this and we're learning or we're catching up and I'm always curious where you get your inspiration from around what you guys are putting together? That's a great question. I've never really thought of it in that way. There are, there are places that I will go to. So Europe has a, a number of progressive companies that are making it work. And so you know, if you said performance management over there, they'd laugh at you. We're done. We're done with that. If you said working nine to five, they'd laugh at, well, who works nine to five? Working seven till five, they'd yep. laugh at you. Uh, the company that I meant, mentioned before is an English company. It's Happy, by the way. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on here, but that's the No, this is, the, the underpinning of the show is also exposing people to things that they maybe haven't run into. So yeah, name <laughs> yeah. drop, give references, plug your courses. It's all, it's all equal ground <laughs> on the show. So that company where you get to choose your manager is Happy, and which is a slightly frightening name of a company, but there we go. Um, <laughs> slightly, so, I'm writing it down. I'm going to go check it out after for sure. <laughs> Happy.co.uk. Um, and Henry Stewart, in fact, is the mastermind behind that. So there are, there are key people who I will make connections in terms of, you know, if I see a new article, I'll go there. If I see a new research, I'll head there. I think Europe is slightly ahead of us, but... You know, when you look at our timelines, of course they're ahead of us. They're hundreds of years ahead of us in so many ways. And and yet not in some places too. And I think, you know, the biggest piece of this is actually being able to listen to people who are living it, who are in it at the moment. And that, that brings the most to the forefront. Here's the problem. Okay, what can we do to solve that? Interesting. I like what you said, they're 100 years ahead, and but doesn't mean it's, a, it's across the board and there's always somewhere we can look. And so in terms of Canada-wide, uh, Western Canada, again, even in the last year, I'm not just going to say where are we against the East or the West, because technically we're also, there. you know, Eastern Canada is older than, than here as well. But I guess through COVID, are you seeing just across the board that there's been a movement this way? Like how much has it really accelerated our awareness to this real human side of leadership and, and you know, the, the, the softer skills, as you said, as you said earlier? Mm-hmm. I think the pandemic's pressed a fast forward. And I think what we're actually caught is, if you think of that paradigm shift, I think we've, we do have some who are still in denial. <laughs> and yes. just get the numbers. I don't care. And we're, and we're actually seeing uh, an awful lot of burnout, an awful lot of mental health pieces coming to awareness but that also the flip side of that is that's one of the good things that the pandemic brought us is that there's a space for mental health conversations now legitimately in every team every workplace every organization and, and you know it's it's not great that the pandemic caused that to happen but now it's there now it's that conversation actually i believe it's mental health awareness week this week so again those are conversations oh, yes, yeah, that yes, are, right. <laughs> are happening in it and being and in terms of the human skills, I think what sort of saying to us, okay, go work from home and stay home and don't go out. And we've realized how, 
how human we are and that we need those connections and that work can't just be transactional. And so that's brought it to the forefront as well. And we've also realized that if we don't have the conversations that we need to have, we get really stuck really quickly. (laughs) And having those conversations is so much harder on this screen because for me to talk to you right now, I can't actually look at you. And so that's taken away everything that we've had in place beforehand. So it's a different different set of rules a different set of ideas and I think that having that brought to our forefront where we've made the time to think about it might change how we approach stuff going back again so again again uh, trying to make the best the best out of what has been a, a very terrible situation but I love how I like what you said I think it really has humanized us like I'm peering into your home office now something that I would never have as a reference point and you know we've all curated our backgrounds in certain ways and but you know you you got like there was a time that I might have been annoyed if someone's cat ran across the screen while I was in a meeting because don't we know this is a professional meeting now I couldn't even care less because we're all human and we're all having this kind of messy experience together <laughs> so I am thankful for for COVID from that perspective but yeah, there is a lot more awareness around just the like the fragility of being human that I think has shown up through this. And to hear these, you know, the six laid out the way you, you, you like, who doesn't want these? They all are going to be beneficial in terms of creating an organization where we actually feel more connected, which then allows us to ultimately do better at whatever that thing it is. I'm going to go check out Happy. I'm really curious what they even do. Actually, I'm still <laughs> I'm still hung up on that. Actually, Jenny. <laughs> so. Um, Organizations are curious. They want to get involved. They hopefully they they should feel is very inspired that there's a lot to offer and this is a great opportunity, never like before, to create change in your organization to ultimately fuel better outcomes and engage your people. How do people dig in? Like, as I'm assuming, you have individuals that show up, but you also probably partner with organizations to say, "Hey, here's what we need. How can we solve your problem?" Like, what's the process like for someone to engage with you guys? It's really simple. They um, contact our corporate training department and I believe their email is as simple as corporate.training at state.ca and start the conversation uh, if it's individual we have a whole host like you could never ending amount of courses that you can take if you have questions on that uh, corporate training that's what they're there for is to answer those questions um Tyler, you were stalking me too. You can find me easy enough and I can answer LinkedIn questions. LinkedIn is a great, point. great source of information. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, and point people in the right direction because end of the day, I'm the person that navigates the conversation with you, not sets up that whole back end piece there. But I think the, the real piece in there is we used to think of places like SATE as, okay, we do communication, we do this, we do right. that. Right. Whereas now it really is, you know, what are the problems you're trying to solve and can we curate to be able to navigate that conversation and provide you with how to make a difference afterwards and that's the key piece what can you do we've said this before what can you do when you leave that will make it better change what you need whatever that piece is within there are you seeing two smaller organizations because lots of times larger organizations have their own in-house training and their own in-house kind of like personal development programs where sometimes for small to medium-sized enterprises that doesn't make sense financially for them to have that uh, but I'm you know curious typically it's you know you go to a large organization you're going to get more in that kind of support or more in that education realm sometimes not in smaller are you seeing small organizations reach out to then because of the need and also to be able to offer their people access to more of that continuing education that maybe not as formalized but just because they're smaller by nature it's really interesting and i don't know that there's a um sort of a set i like it'd be really nice to put things into buckets and it doesn't work that way some organizations 
I think it depends what the priority is. And so sometimes the budget allows, yep, go take what you like, go grow. Growth is a condition for performance. So what do you want to grow in? Go grow in that piece. Others sort of pinpoint in, okay, we need to take care of this. Who's going to help us to do that piece? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think some are just waking up that, you know, you can't, a company can't grow if its employees aren't growing at the same time. It, it doesn't happen independently. And so when we wake up to that, sort of concept then we realize the importance of whoever it is helping them to grow within that space and we're seeing more of that now as people reach out as well and the joy for any of us is you know classroom doesn't mean 60 people in the room can be four and it can be sometimes more productive than having 40 60 20 in a room so there's no one size fits all is what I'm hearing loud and clear from curriculum That's right through discourse size to whatever. Hence why you've been doing it for as long as you have, because it's never a dull day in your world, I'm assuming either, because you get to literally solve the problems in the rooms and people bring their real, I'm assuming you work on real problems on a regular basis in the room. <laughs> we do regularly and I don't solve them. <laughs> I don't yes, have fair all enough. the answers. Yes. You get to participate. Yes. Sorry. I didn't say that correctly. <laughs> But I do take part in them and they're great conversations. And as you say, like no two days are the same. And that is one of the reasons that it's really easy to to still show up and be having fun. Like that's to me, that's what success is. When you look forward to your job as much as you look forward to leaving your job, we're good. Mm. And I would say boldly, I think I, I think we maybe just got to have a taste of competent humility there, Jenny. I think you gave us a real life example how you answered that. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Very. Well. I was like, I was looking to use it in a sentence before the end of the day because I want to get. I like that a lot. You really stuck with me, Jenny. Thank you so much for coming on the show and one the work that you do, but sharing the perspective of working with leaders every day. And I really like the six different pillars. I'm gonna. I got a little. I got some rabbit holes. I'm gonna go down after I get off this podcast. And I hope we've inspired some leaders, managers, individuals to really look at themselves as a as a complete person and understanding that the soft side is what's going to help. It's required for us in the future to be able to collaborate because rowing the boat on yourself is not that effective and it gets kind of lonely. <laughs> absolutely truth. And Tyler, thank you. I appreciate the conversation. It was fun. It was and when you go down those pleasure. rabbit holes, you know where to find me too. I do. Yes. You're going to be my, <laughs> my rabbit hole guide for sure. Um, you mentioned LinkedIn. What's the best way you mentioned corporate training? Any I always, I, I never want to hang up with those saying, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? But I heard corporate training. I heard your uh, Jenny Gilbert on your LinkedIn profile. Is there any other way that people could reach out? Probably the easiest way is if it's content in, you know, those t- intelligences we were talking about, mm-hmm. my LinkedIn profile and the messaging through there is probably the easiest way. If you're definitely curious about SATE, then I would reach out to corporate training and it is corporate.training at sate.ca. That's awesome. Jenny, thank you so much. It was wonderful chatting with you. Thank you very much too.